Most of all, I hoped that and hope that you were thinking about the words and considering what's written and, and what you said, that God is light. And so many of the songs uh, that we sing uh, and scriptures that we read talk about a God who is light. Um, Dick, thanks for sharing with us this morning. Uh, that's something I'm going to, uh, I, I want to start doing. I think it's important for us to hear from other folks in the church. A lot of us got a lot to say. Uh, a lot of us study the Bible um, besides me. Uh, and so thank you for sharing that with us this morning. We can learn a lot of different things about a God who is light. Um, and uh, we're going we're gonna to look at some of those things today. We're in the middle of a series about God is, and we're talking about different characteristics. So today we turn uh, uh, out of the, the first one that lasted three weeks. We're going to only talk for uh, one Sunday about this, but sometimes when we read scripture, we find things, we read things, we come across things, and you might be tempted to say, what does that mean? Uh, you can read scripture where it says God is light and kind of go, uh, you, you might, some things we just kind of gloss over. We read them and we move on and we think, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Uh, but if we really kind of drill down into that, what does it mean and why is it important to us uh, to understand God's nature and character when Scripture says God is light? We're going to take a look at uh, 1 John. We're going to read a little bit out of chapter 1 uh, and out of chapter 2. 1 John 1, starting in verse 5, and we're going to read to chapter 2, uh, verse 2. And it says this, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Chapter 2 starts out by saying, My little children, I, I love the way John puts that. My little children, I am writing these things to you that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of of the whole world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, as we open your word and continue to read and study through 1 John and other passages, I pray, Lord, you add to, uh, to what we have read, understanding, and also action. Uh, Lord, thank you for being a God who is light. Now teach us what that means in Jesus' name. Amen. The concept of light appears numerous times in the uh, New Testament, the Old Testament. The word light itself appears over 200 times, and it makes its first appearance, I, I mentioned a moment ago, where it says in Genesis 1-3, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. So the Bible starts out with the idea of light. It says God created the heavens and the earth. Next thing he said was, let there be light. Now, we know a lot about light. Uh, there are a lot of things we understand about it, um, but at, when, we, when we study Scripture, then we come to understand that God himself says he is light. So what does that mean? Listen to these verses. Psalm 27, 1 says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? John 1, 1 through 9 says, in the beginning he was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were made through him, and without him, not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. 
There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming in the world. Coming into the world. John 8, 12, Jesus himself says, I am the light of the world. These expressions from throughout the Bible make two things very clear. First of all, the origin of light rests with God, right? We understand that. Genesis 1, 3, God said, let there be light. Second, in some sense, God himself is the very essence of light. This indicates to us that God is the ultimate source of all knowing, all understanding, and all light. Light emphasizes splendor, glory, truthfulness, and purity that we can find in God. Light literally purifies. Anybody ever had an experience with ultraviolet light? Ultraviolet light sanitizes, it cleans, it purifies. Uh, Light makes things grow, right? Light makes life possible. The concept of photosynthesis says a plant converts light into energy, uh, energy that the conversion of light uh, happens in the plant, makes the plant growth possible, right? Light shines on the plant. You ever put a plant in a dark room? What happens? It dies because it doesn't have access to light. Light protects us, light gets our attention, and light points the way. Not only does the physical form of light protect us and gain our attention and point the way, but the Lord, who is light, has provided for us a guide map, if you will, uh, a way forward. Uh, Psalm 119.105 says, your word, anybody have this verse memorized? Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light into my path. And I, and I quoted that in a different version that's up there. Do you ever do that? You learn the scripture in one version uh, and then you switch versions, but you still quote it in the old one? I think that might be the King James. I don't know. Is that right, Lady? You, you probably memorize it in the King James. <laughs> the emphasis on, on light in scripture lies in the perception and understanding that when darkness is dispelled, light reveals what is there. There's another concept we need to understand about light, and it becomes clear in John 3.19. It says this, this is judgment, that light has come into the world, that's Jesus Christ. People love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. People like darkness better than light. I don't know about you, I like to sleep in the dark. Uh, It's much easier to sleep in the dark. Um, Lydia will tell you that I'm irritated by light sources in the dark. Uh, If we ever stay in a hotel, you ever lay down in the hotel bed and you look up and the smoke alarm's above you, right? There's that little red light shining down from the ceiling. And you think, all you get is close your eyes and you can't see it. That drives me crazy. I can't stand that light. I have to put tape over the light. Um, If there's a VCR or a microwave, I like pull the plugs or I cover them up with pillows. I, I just, I don't like, I'm getting better but I like to sleep in the dark. Why? <laughs> People love darkness. Now, there's, there's another reason he's saying that, though, right? It's human nature. If we read, uh, continuing in verses 21, it says this, for everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out by God. So there's this human nature of, of hiding things and hiding in the darkness. Uh, most... Uh, crimes, the majority of, of like thefts and that kind of stuff, we're always shocked when they happen in broad daylight, right? But a lot of that happens when? At night, in the cover of darkness. One of the characteristics of light is that it reveals and provides understanding and purity. It gives us vision. It makes things clear. It dispels darkness. The opposite of light 
is darkness. Now, what does darkness do? Darkness obscures. Darkness deceives. It, it, it harbors impurity. It's a place to hide. And you know what else? Um, light can be painful, right? You wake up in the middle. You ever woken up in the middle of the night? You wake up at 3 or 4 a.m. Um, or, or maybe your spouse wakes up at 3 or 4, 4 a.m. and they flip on the lights. <laughs> Everybody's like, oh. That hurts, right? Light can be painful when your eyes are accustomed to being in the dark. There's a spiritual truth there, though, isn't there? The light of God can be painful when it shines on our spiritual life and, and, and illuminates and shows what's really there. Someone once asked me, why do people who seem to know what's right and seem to understand what God's desire is for them decide not to follow through and do it? Um, we've, had, we've had people throughout the years uh, in ministry that we've, we've talked to about the gospel of Jesus Christ, both here and in Poland, um, and we've shared with them the gospel of Christ and, and they've rejected it. And that's, that's one of the two things you can do, right? When you share the gospel of Jesus Christ, a person can accept it, a person can reject it. The important thing is that you have shared the story. You've told about the gospel. Their response is, is between them and God. Um, but the answer to why people reject that is because it's, it's, a, it's human nature. Human loves the darkness. Our, our humanity, our human nature loves the darkness. And for some, the pain of introspection, the pain of, of revelation, the pain of change just doesn't seem worth it. And they want to close their eyes and go back to sleep, just like you do when your spouse turns on the lights at 3 a.m. I brought um, some, uh, some stuff for an illustration. Uh, I love illustrations. I love chemistry day in school. Did you ever, ha- did you ever have chemistry in school? And... Uh, and you know, they, they would do activities and light things on fire and blow stuff up. I love that day. I, I, when I went to school, okay, this is cool. Back when I went to chemistry class, my chemistry teacher actually taught me how to make explosives. Did any, any of your teacher ever teach you how to make? Yeah. Right? Well, I live in New Mexico. It's a little crazy. It's Wild West. Um, you, you would never, they probably don't even have the chemicals to make an explosive, an explosive in a high school chemistry class anymore. Anyway, I love chemistry day. Maybe that's why. Um, but there's an illustration, a principle about light. I brought some boxes to help me conduct this experiment. Um, they're full of darkness. And so I'm going to open them up and pour out the darkness, and, uh, and then we're going you know, to fill the room with darkness and see what happens, okay? I don't know. That one doesn't seem to have enough darkness in it. I'm gonna try, I'll try a bigger one, okay? Got my... Knife blade here. The darkness is missing in this one, too. I don't know. I brought a big one. I brought a big one because I thought maybe if I brought a really big one, it might have enough darkness. What's going to happen? What do you think is going to happen? Oh, that's like the hypothesis. You've got to make a hypothesis. That's, that's part of science class. What do you think is going to happen? What do you hypothesize? The light will fill the darkness. Okay, let's see, because I'm going to dump out all the dark. You know there was darkness in the box. Of course, it's like Schrodinger's cat, right? You don't know if the cat's dead or alive until you open the box to check. We opened the box to check and see if the darkness is there, and we couldn't see it, so maybe they don't actually have darkness in them. You get the point. It's obvious what the, the point of this is. Light overcomes darkness, doesn't it? 
No amount of darkness poured out into this room. We could bring a box the size of this church and we could, the, the building, we could, we could cut it open out in the parking lot and it would be up, you know, Schrodinger's cat. We're, we're assuming, we're hypothesizing full of darkness. Open it up, what would happen? The light would overcome it. Isn't that an interesting um, characteristic of light, if you will? No amount of darkness can overcome light. Now, how much light does it take to overcome darkness? I brought this little battery. I don't want to start any fires. A little battery-operated tea candle. This is interesting. Scientists have studied and say that in the dark, without obstructions, a human being with normal average eyesight can see a candle one and a half miles away. Isn't that amazing? One and a, I would never have guessed it was that far. You, we're talking like Montana darkness. <laughs> Out in the woods, you, you stick this up on top of a, a, a hill and you go a mile and a half away where there's no obstructions and you, you could see I'm, I'm guessing this is probably as bright as a regular, maybe a candle might be a little brighter. But you can see light from great distances. Uh, this is an ultimate example of a principle of light that is both physical in nature, right, and spiritual. No amount of darkness can overcome the light that is God. No amount of darkness can overcome the truth of God's gospel. No amount of, God, uh, of darkness can overcome even one Christian walking in the light. Now, I sent out some songs this week uh, for the kids to listen to. One of them was, and you're gonna, you know, it's, it sounds preschooly, and you're like, oh, this little light of mine. There's so much spiritual truth in that song, isn't it? This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. Hide it under a bushel, no, I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. The, 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 the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ can overcome any spiritual darkness. Now, as we continue it, it, to, to think about and talk about light, I want us to you know, grab your Bibles, grab your, uh, your, I, your iPhone, your iPad, whatever you have that you're, um, you're reading out of. You can also follow us on the screen as well. But we're gonna actually unpack a little bit of the First John passage because it's interesting um, it talks about three claims, three truth claims of that, that are in reference to light. And it also has three false claims. And we're going to see how, uh, how these false claims play out and how the truth claims play out. So we want to understand our relationship with a God who is light. John has written this for us that we might understand that and so that we might not sin. Let's see what it says. The first thing I want to point out in verse 6 it says, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. This is the first false claim, if you will. This false claim says moral behavior is not, um, is not a matter uh, in, in our walk with Christ. It's, uh, it's of indifference. In other words, following some sort of moral code, living a, a moral, clean life, is not necessary in our relationship with Christ. I think you're going to agree that that's a false claim. That's a false claim. One of the qualities of human, uh, I'm sorry, of godly character is holiness. We are called to be set apart. That's literally what the word holy means. Set apart. Different. We don't live uh, by a set of rules. However, we do have a moral code. So that's one of the things scripture spells out. And that code is called holiness, set apartness. 
That's the code that we live by. Uh, we can only become holy through a true relationship in Christ and through the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. As long as we look at sin in our own lives and ignore it, <laughs> or even look the other way, or embrace it, we have a relationship problem, don't we? As Christians who are claiming to walk in the light, but not following this code, if you will, of holiness, we have a relationship problem. Now, the counterclaim, John points out to this, is the true claim. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sins. Remember, light means purity. Light means truth. Light uh, is, is wrapped up in the character of God and godliness. Uh, and in fact, light is God. God is light. Unless we walk in the light, unless we walk with God, there's no relationship. Uh, we have to realize this. Unless there are some results uh, uh, of walking in light with him, then our activities can be questionable. Uh, we've been delivered from a religion that's built on works, haven't we? We've been delivered from uh, a religious structure that says we have to do things to be right with God. God can reach us not because of what we do or what we have done, but because of the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. That's the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can't do enough. Uh, we can't change enough. Uh, we can't be good enough uh, to, to be right with God. Jesus Christ himself is the one who reaches out to us. A right relationship with God, walking in the light, should be evidenced by two things. He points out fellowship with one another. Have you ever had that opportunity or that, that feeling in your life where you, you didn't want to be around other Christians? Some of us may have experienced that. Somewhere in your Christian walk, you may have gotten to a point where, I don't want to be around other Christians. That's, that's an indicator that things may not be right between you and God if you don't want to be around other believers because one of the true claim one of the true claims is if we walk in the light we have fellowship with one another and the other thing is that we are cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ so listen if you've been truly saved if you have been truly uh Saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ. You've received Christ as your Lord and Savior. Uh, he has changed you. You have repented in humbleness of your sinful life. He's changed you. He's filled you. And you can be said to be in Christ. Also walking in the light. I love that. Um, then it would be impossible for you to live without following God's moral code. God, his desire is that we never sin. That's God's desire. Uh, sometimes we give ourselves a pass on that, don't, don't we? Because we say, well, um, that doesn't mean we won't sin, right? And that we, we, we hold out the, the possibility that, that we might sin and we could sin. And, and all of that is true. But the point here is not whether we will mess up or won't mess up. But it's that when we mess up, we'll want to right that relationship. We'll need to repair that relationship. We'll need to know God's forgiveness. Which brings us to our second point. When we sin, forgiveness and purification are available. Now the false claim here says if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and truth, uh, the truth is not in us. Um, this false claim says the immoral conduct does not issue in sin. That sounds weird, right? It's, it's literally saying if you do something wrong but say I didn't do anything wrong, <laughs> then everything's okay. That's wrong, <laughs> obviously. We believe we are forgiven. Sometimes 
We will battle the old nature, right? And sin will creep in. If we go on sinning, Scripture says we can eventually become numb to it. Scripture calls this, uh, in, in some translations, ha- having your conscience seared. You ever heard that part of Scripture? You have sinned so many times that your conscience is now seared. When you sin, you don't notice it, you don't think about it. Now, the true claim in this passage says this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This claim indicates that the confession of sin brings both cleansing and forgiveness. There's this idea of having a contrite heart. Contrite's one of those Christian-y, fancy Christian-y words. It, it literally means this, that your heart realizes its guilt and in humility is repentant before God. That's what the word contrite, when you say I have a contrite heart, it means you realize you've sinned and you're sorry for it, literally. You can't rest. You can't go on. Uh, You can't go through the day until you've taken time to go before the Father, confess your sin to Him, and ask to be forgiven. That's what it means to have a contrite heart. Purification that comes from a holy God who is light. That's what we need. That's what we have to have. So will we sin? Scripture indicates that, that it's very likely that we will. We can't say, I didn't sin. The answer instead is to turn to Jesus Christ who is an advocate and a sacrifice for us. And that's the third section here. The false claim in verse 10 says, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Um, you, may, you may not realize that you do this sometimes as an adult, but I'm certain that you're, especially parents, you've experienced this with your kids, right? Like you walk in and you say, who broke this? Ah, uh, my sister did it. <laughs> my brother did it. I didn't do it. I was an only child. Something broke in the house. Mom and dad said, who did it? It was like, ah, I don't know. Somebody, I don't know, one of my friends. That's the best I could turn to, right? Um, if we say we haven't sinned, we make God out to be a liar. And his word is not in us. The false claim says the knowledge of God removes sin as even a possibility in the believer's life. Now, there's a, a difference in the verbs here. Verse 8 says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, the truth is not in us. This is uh, in, the, in the present tense. It means if we say we have no sin now. Now in verse 10, it's different. He's saying something different here. I'm going to read it out of the scripture. It says, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. This is, uh, and our verbs don't carry these kind of tenses. A lot of foreign languages do. Polish did. Uh, Greek does. There are other languages they carry in the verb conjugation, the tense of the verb. So the tense here is perfect tense. Now what that means is literally this translation, if you translated that verb, it would say, if we say we have never sinned, are not sinning now, and will not sin in the future. So it's like all encompassing. If you're saying, I've never sinned, I'm not sinning now, and I never will, we make God out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. Um, John was writing this letter because at this time in the life of the church, there was a movement of, of teachers called the Gnostics. Uh, they were stirring up problems and confusion in the early church, and they, I'm just going to read a couple of the false teachings that they held out. They denied Jesus was Son of God. That's a problem. They denied that Jesus existed in the flesh. In other words, they denied his 
his life with the, the apostles, and uh, obviously they would have denied the things that Scripture said that he went through in his life. They denied Jesus was the way of salvation, and to top it off, they denied that they had a personal sin problem. John wrote this letter as a correction to say that's why there's this, this false claim, true claim idea, because a lot of the false claims were things that the Gnostics are holding up. They're saying, this is true, and John said, no, that's not true. This is true. So as far as their teaching on sin went, the Gnostics uh, had slightly different readings. There were different groups, but some would claim that they were removed from a possibility to sin. Others would claim that they had entered a sinless state. Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that be great if that's what salvation in Christ was? Is a, is a sinless state now, the possibility and opportunity uh, to sin is forever removed, and I cannot sin. Uh, John says uh, in his scripture that these are false statements. The true claim is this, uh, starting in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, he says, if anyone does sin, obviously he's giving there's a possibility, if, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate, the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He's the propitiation for our sins, that's the, the, the atoning sacrifice, um, the, the work that he did on the cross and his death and his burial and resurrection, he is that atoning sacrifice for our sins, but not only for ours, also the sins of the whole world. The true claim here is that if we sin, we have Christ. But when you sin, but if you sin, remember you have Jesus Christ. Admit it and confess it. What do we want to do when we sin often? We hide it. Right? We want to, or we pretend it didn't happen. Oh, that, was, that didn't really happen. If we mess up, we can receive forgiveness if we admit it and confess it. To Christ. John doesn't want us to conclude that sin in the life of a believer is inevitable, though. I, I like he doesn't say, but when you sin. <laughs> he says, but if you sin. So remember that, because sometimes we treat it as if it is inevitable. We have to be careful. We are giving ourselves an out. Remember that the life of a believer is supposed to be a life living the same way Christ lived. John begins chapter 2 uh, with the words, My little children, <laughs> I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. His whole point was to encourage us, to, to lift us up, uh, to remind us that sin and obedience to God are irreconcilable. Sin is the enemy. It removes us from light. It prevents fellowship. It destroys fellowship with God and with other believers who are in the light. The principle of sin as the power of darkness must be excluded from our lives. It must be excluded. Individual acts of sin must be resisted. When a failure, failure occurs, sin must be confessed. And the intent of the believer must always remain the same, not to commit sin. So let's boil this down. John's saying three things here, in essence. Don't lie to God about your sin. Okay? Don't do it. Don't lie to yourself about your sin. <laughs> and return again and again, if you sin, to a Christ who has the power alone to forgive us. The answer to falling into sin is not to hate yourself. Anybody? You sin and you're like, oh man, I hate myself. I hate that I did that again. It's okay to hate the sin. It's not okay to hate yourself. The, the response to falling into sin is to confess it, to bring it to Christ, 
to receive his forgiveness that he has made available. He's our advocate. Now listen, that doesn't mean that Christ goes before God to maintain our innocence. That's not what he's advocating for because we are not innocent. That is not what an advocate does. Instead, he confesses our guilt, uh, but he has made a sacrifice to cover that sin. And he goes to the Father and he says, yeah, you can see that he sinned or she sinned, but they belong to me now. I have died for their sin. I have been that atoning sacrifice that has covered their sin. He enters a plea before the Father on our behalf. Christ can do this because he alone is righteous. He alone is good. We spent three weeks talking about that. Why God is good and why God is righteous. He alone, Christ, who paid for our sins, can go before the Father and enter a plea for us. God doesn't want us to hide out. He doesn't want us to hide in the dark. He doesn't want us to isolate ourselves. It's tough to be in the dark and not let the dark get you, right? And we walk in shadows in our world all the time. At work, at school, sometimes at home. God doesn't want us to hide in the shadows, so don't isolate yourself. It's tough to be in the dark and not let the dark get you. The unending struggle for the Christian is to walk in the light while at the same time moving in the shadows of the world, holding out to a dying world the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I love Paul's word where he says, after you've done everything, then stand. That's what the Christian does, the light of the Christian now, we read this earlier. This is interesting. John 8, 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. But this is, this is great. Matthew 5, 14, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. I am the light of the world, Jesus says. You are the light of the world. Isn't that a contradiction? How can Jesus be the light and the believer be the light too? Think of it this way. The moon provides light at night, if the moon's up at night, it provides light, and there's no clouds. There's a lot of clouds in Chicago, but, but we see the moon occasionally. It shines through the window in our bedroom, and it drives me crazy, by the way, when it does. It just goes right by. Um, we had to put double blinds up so that block the moon out. The actual source of light is not the moon, though, right? The moon reflects the light of the sun. The moon doesn't generate any light of its own, simply it serves as a reflector. Now, there are four ways substances react to light. There's probably more. Some smart scientist will probably, um, maybe some smart person in this room will even think of another. But some things are transparent and light passes through them, right? Windows. Those windows in the back, they're transparent. The light uh, goes directly through. Some are translucent. These windows over here are translucent and over here. They scatter the light. You can't see through them. Light doesn't pass through perfectly, so we can't see through. But they're translucent, and they scatter the light. Some are opaque. Some things you can't see through the wall. Uh, there's lights on in the hallway, but you can't see them because the wall is opaque. It is blocking the light. Some things are reflectors. Some things act as mirrors. They reflect the light. You and I, Jesus is saying, are called to be reflectors, if you will, of God's light. When he says, you are the light of the world... He is pointing out the fact that we reflect God and Christ in the Holy Spirit in our lives. God is the source of all light, and when we are His, we become reflectors in a dark world. 
We become those who are transmitting through our lives, if you will, the true and eternal light of the Son of God. If you're a believer today, not only are you walking in the light, but you're reflecting the light. You're reflecting of the light of God to the world around you. Now, I love this little story. There was a little girl. Uh, she got home from Sunday school, and she had been in class, and they read a scripture that day. It, was, it says this, Let your light shine before men that they may see your good, good works and give glory to our Father who is in heaven. She got home and she was talking to her mom about it. And she's like, Mom, explain that to me again. And her mom says, well, it means uh, when you're good and kind and thoughtful and obedient to Christ, you are letting the light of Christ shine and others will see that in you. Now, the next Sunday, uh, they're back at church again. Little girl goes to class partway through the service. Uh, they probably had a little thing that flashed numbers up on the wall or whatever. Anyway, that number for that little girl came up. Mom got up, went back to the classroom, and the teacher was like, we have to have a little talk. Your daughter had a fight in class. Uh, it kind of explains what happened. Um, she went and sat down with her daughter, and she said, what happened? Do you not remember that verse, let your light shine before men? And she said, um, the, the little girl said, uh, Mom, I blowed myself out. <laughs> I know, it's, it's funny, right? But, and, and when I read it and I thought about the story, I laughed at it at first, and then I thought, wow, a lot of Christians have blowed themselves out, haven't they? Maybe some of us here today, maybe some of us online here today have, have blowed ourselves out. Does any of that hit you? That in your relationship to Christ, maybe your light's gone out. Or maybe it's very, very dim. Um, if that's the case, we serve a loving God. We serve a loving Father. Uh, and, and Christ is, again, that, that advocate waiting to plead before the Father for us. We can go and say, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, I have failed. Remember, don't hide and don't hate yourself. Just admit it. Confess it, that idea of the contrite heart who recognizes guilt and also wants to receive forgiveness for it. We serve a God who is ready to forgive us if we approach him. And remember, he is a God who is clothed in light. He is light himself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, as you've shown us in Scripture today some teaching about light, I pray that you will help us to examine our own lives. Lord, maybe we need to ask you to shine a bright light on us today to remind us. Maybe we've been seared. Maybe we've become seared. Maybe we've become um, unaware of recurrent habitual sin in our lives. Lord, you need to shine that light and point it out to us. Maybe we know it's there, but we're hiding from it. We're ignoring it. Maybe we're, uh, we're, we're like the Gnostics saying, oh, that doesn't apply to me. Or, or I'm okay. This is okay for me to do. It'll be all right. Lord, show us what those things are that we might come before you and confess to you today our, our shortcomings, our sin, and our failings, knowing, Lord, that you're not going to punish us, and that's not your point, and that's not your purpose, but that you're a good God, a righteous God, a God who loves us, a God who loved us enough to send his only son uh, on our behalf to be a sacrifice for us. Lord, thank you. For your son, Jesus Christ, who even now pleads uh, for each of us before you. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for um, 
a Jesus, a Savior who intercedes for us. Lord, thank you for saving us, Lord. And, uh, and, and, and if we've wandered, Lord, shine that light to draw us back. And maybe you're sitting there thinking to yourself, well, this really made sense. Uh, it's not like I feel my light went out, but maybe my light's never been lit. Maybe I uh, never have followed Christ as Lord and Savior. Maybe you're still seeking, you're still thinking, you're still uh, trying to figure this out and you feel like you're in the dark and you're not walking with God, this is the moment when you come before the Father and you just say, Lord Jesus Christ, Father God, Holy Spirit, save me. Scripture says very clearly, if you call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Saved from what? Saved from eternal separation from God, saved from, uh, and, and, and actually saved into what Jesus calls an abundant life now today on this earth. And so maybe you've been wandering, maybe you haven't figured out what you're supposed to do. Um, but you know today after hearing this message, hearing the words of God that you're supposed to ask Jesus Christ to save you. Just pray and ask the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, forgive me of my sin. Teach me your ways. Shine your light into my life that I might be forgiven of sin and that I can follow you. Lord, save me. There's no magic words, guys. There's no magic formula. Call in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and ask him to save you. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you that, that your message of the gospel, while it is a big step, and it's one we should enter into after careful thought and consideration because um, it means a change in everything in our lives, Lord, that you are ready and willing and able at any moment. And you are offering the gospel and the salvation in Jesus Christ to us at, at all times. Uh, Lord, those who are considering it today, I pray, Lord, that they'll step out in faith and accept your son as Lord and Savior. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.